Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. If you take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to begin in a moment. Today's message is all about setting boundaries, setting boundaries. Most of my messages here at church are primarily for Jesus' followers. We see in the scriptures that uh, God calls the church gathering to be a place where God's people are built up in the faith so that we can go out and then win our neighbors and friends to Jesus. However, if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Christ, there is something here for you. I've prayed that the Lord would use this message somehow in your life in some way uh, to draw you to Him. And towards the end of the message, I'll mention the hope that you can have in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you like taking notes, I like taking notes. It kind of helps me pay attention. If you're like me, uh, feel free to follow along on the app. There's a lot of notes there. There's actually considerably more on the app than what I have time to cover uh, here on a Sunday morning. And so I would encourage you to download the app and follow along or check it out later in the week. Also want to recommend a book to you. This book I read this week on the subject of boundaries and uh, I don't know what rock I've been living under for like the last uh, 15, 20 years, but in its various forms, this book has been a big blessing to the people of God. And I read it, and I want to wholeheartedly recommend it to you. So wherever you buy your books, rent your books, uh, get your books from the library, I, I think this book will be a help to you. Uh, written from a Christian perspective, I think it'll be a blessing to you. Today, I want to begin by telling you the familiar story, or at least it'll be familiar to you if you've been in church for any length of time, about the Good Samaritan. Even if church isn't part of your background, the Good Samaritan, really, though, that language is written into our code of ethics, even into our laws in the United States. According to Jesus, there was a Jew traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho on a treacherous road, and he was mugged. He was mugged. He was beaten. He was left, left for dead. They took everything that he had. But a few minutes later, there was a man walking down the trail who was a priest, a religious figure. And as he came down the trail, he saw the half-dead, injured man. But instead of helping this injured man, he walked by on the other side so that he didn't get ceremonially defiled. A few minutes later, there was another man who walked by and saw the injured man. This man was a Levite, another religious person. But the religious person, he also had duty to do. He had places to be. And so he walked by on the other side and didn't get close to the injured man, assuming I'm just going to let him die. But there was a third man, according to Jesus, the Samaritan. We call him the good Samaritan. And this good Samaritan stopped. He felt Jesus's pain. He stopped and bandaged his wounds. He, he felt the injured man's pain. He, he, he put the man on the donkey and took him to a hotel where he could recover. Well, according to the story, as it's written in the Bible, the next morning, the man got up to leave. But the injured man did not want the good Samaritan to leave. And so he said, why are you leaving? And the Samaritan replied, I have some business to attend to in Jericho. And the injured man said, why are you being so selfish? I'm in bad shape here. I'm going to need somebody to talk to. I'm going to need somebody to wait on me. You're not even acting like a Christian. 
How can Jesus use you in the Bible as the story of the good Samaritan if you're not willing to deny yourself and stay with me more than one night? I'm so disappointed in you. How can you even call yourself a Christian? Well, the good Samaritan said, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I I want to apologize. I'll stay as long as I need to stay. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll do whatever you need done. So the Samaritan stayed with the injured man for three days, waiting on him hand and foot. Well, on the third day, they heard a knock at the door. And so the good Samaritan goes over to the door, and there's a messenger standing on the other side, and the messenger hands him a note, and he reads the message, and come to find out it's from Jericho, one of his business contacts. And the message says that he has missed his opportunity to buy that herd of camels that he was going to buy. And so because he missed his opportunity, he's going to be without a way to deliver his goods for at least six months until the next herd of camels comes in. And the Samaritan is furious. He looks at the injured man there in the hotel room and he says, how could dare you, how could you do this to me? I stayed here to help you. And this is what happens to me. I'm going to lose income. My family's going to struggle to eat. And before the story's over, the good Samaritan hauls off and punches the injured man right there in the bed. The end. Is that how the story goes? Some of you are like, what Bible translation are you reading? No, that's not how the story goes. I want to read to you how the story goes. I'll invite you to read with me. The verses will be on the screen. This is beginning in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side but a Samaritan. As he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, that's two silver coins, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you have. Which of these three do you think was a robber to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. When we look at parables in the New Testament, we teach in our discipleship groups that parables, just like most other places in the scriptures, have one interpretation. It's really important that we not go too deeply down the rabbit trail of trying to pick apart the parables of Jesus. For instance, I've heard people in the parable about the five loaves and two fishes try to describe what the five loaves symbolize. Well, maybe they're five countries in the world. And the two fish, maybe they're like World War I and World War II. You're like, man, that sounds crazy. Absolutely, it really is crazy. We don't want to do that when we're studying the scriptures. We don't want to go down too far down the rabbit trail when studying parables. 
This particular parable has one interpretation. Jesus' purpose behind the story was to teach us that authentic disciples love their neighbors as God has loved them. We live out Christ-like neighborly love when we love people who are farthest from us. We need to love those who are farthest from us because God loved us when we were farthest from him. I preached this parable back in January of, of 2000, or actually 2020, and January 26th, I believe. It's part of our authentic series. And so if you want to study this parable a bit more and, and hear what a sermon on the intent of this parable is about, I refer you to that sermon. But just as Scripture has one interpretation, it often has many applications. And so today, I want to very carefully, I want to touch on this parable because I think this parable has been used in a lot of Christian circles to somehow teach that we shouldn't have boundaries. And so if anything, I want to correct the error and say that there are boundaries even in the story of the good Samaritan. In the next few minutes, I want to point out three boundaries that the good Samaritan had. Then I want to give you three steps that you can apply in your own life to set appropriate, healthy boundaries in your discipleship journey. Let's look at the three boundaries of the Good Samaritan. First of all, his care had boundaries. His care had boundaries. The Good Samaritan didn't build impregnable walls, as did the other two men who passed by the injured man. He cared. However, his care had boundaries. Some of that boundary had to do with the limit and supply that he had. He didn't have a portable operating room to do surgery on the injured man, but he did have some oil and wine to pour into his wounds. He had some clean rags that he could use as bandages. So I think we can at least see that his care had some boundaries. Secondly, his time had boundaries. He was only able to stay one night with the injured man. He didn't stay two nights or three nights, like in the hypothetical story I told at the beginning. He just had time for one night. Now, it doesn't tell us why he had to leave. Again, this is a parable. So we can kind of like speculate and make up our own fiction, just as the parable was a story. But, you know, maybe we could tell a story about how the man had to go buy some camels. And so he had to get to where he was going. We don't know the reason, but his time had boundaries. Thirdly, his money had boundaries. Before the Samaritan left the hotel, he gave the innkeeper two silver coins. Not three, not four, not ten. He gave him two. Maybe you have somebody at your place of work that requires you to keep the receipts before you get reimbursed. We have that here at Bible Center, thankfully. It makes our auditors happy. It keeps me out of an orange jumpsuit. I'm really, really thankful for people like that. Maybe the Samaritan was like that. He's like, look, I'll give you two silver coins. When I get back, I wanna see the receipts and I'll pay you for whatever else it costs. But his money had boundaries. His care had boundaries. His time had boundaries. Which brings us today's big idea. This really is more of a topical message. Boundaries create a safe space for a lifetime of loving like Jesus. Boundaries create a safe space for a lifetime of loving like Jesus. Just as homeowners set boundaries, God invites us to set mental and emotional and physical and and even spiritual boundaries. Setting boundaries is key to sustainable ministry. Since none of us is Jesus, 
Since none of us is Jesus, we'll always need to set appropriate boundaries to love like Jesus. What do the experts say? Well, I love it when the Bible and the experts match. It doesn't always happen. And when it doesn't happen, we always err on the side of the scriptures or we lean to the side of the scriptures. But Brene Brown, I think, accurately writes this. When we fail to set boundaries and hold people accountable, we feel used and mistreated. Ever felt like that? Daring to set boundaries, Brene Brown continues, is about having the courage to love ourselves even when we risk disappointing others. Jenna Korf says this, if someone gets mad at you for creating a boundary, consider that a good sign that the boundary was necessary. Feel Good says, when someone oversteps your boundaries, they're letting you know that what you want doesn't matter. Rachel Walking writes this, givers need to set limits because takers rarely do. Mark Groves says, walls keep everybody out. Boundaries teach them where the door is. This is not a sermon on walls, but it is a sermon on doors. A sermon about having appropriate boundaries. I don't know who initially wrote this quote, but I love it. You're not required to set yourself on fire to keep others warm. Warren Buffett continues, he says, the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. Boundaries create a safe space for a lifetime of loving like Jesus. And you're like, okay, what else does the Bible say? You've used a parable, you've used Brene Brown, you've quoted some experts, what does the Bible have to say? Well, the Bible says this. I encourage you to take notes. Here's five key references on boundaries. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. There's a certain guarding that we're required to have as the people of God in enemy territory. By the way, we all live in enemy territory. So we create boundaries. Proverbs 25, 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. You ever met somebody like that? Maybe at one of your family reunions. Maybe a, a, an old schoolmate, maybe a friend, maybe somebody in your immediate family. People who have no way of setting boundaries often live their life completely exasperated. They've been to the doctor They've got all the, 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 all the tests and everything, but it comes down to not a physical issue many times, but a boundary issue. Matthew 7, 6, what does Jesus say? Jesus said, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That's what Jesus says. See, surely Jesus never said anything harsh. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Romans 16, 17, and 18, Paul said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. In other words, there are going to be people in the church that are going to teach things that you can't dogmatically prove from Scripture, and they're going to make a mountain out of a molehill. According to Paul, those are the most dangerous people in the local church. And so Paul says about those people, keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. 
By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. In Galatians 5.23, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Now, if you're like me, the first place we need to set up boundaries is for ourselves, right? I need to protect myself from myself. And probably many of you uh, could attest to that. But that's part of living in the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Boundaries create a safe space for a lifetime of loving like Jesus. I realize this message today may not apply to you. It may not apply to everybody. You say, why are we even talking about boundaries today? Well, back in the early summer, like late May, early June, we sent out a survey uh, to, uh, through my uh, weekly email. We received hundreds of replies. And we took all those replies and put them all together and talked about some of the greatest problems we were having in the church. And what we found is that many of you said that you were having problems setting boundaries with life, setting boundaries with people who were overly aggressive, or people in your family who wanted to take more, then all kinds of responses came back. And so we got together with our family ministry team and realized we needed to preach a message about expectations, how to deal with those expectations, and what boundaries we needed to set. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know why you as a church overwhelmingly put this as a major issue, but perhaps, perhaps this is you. If it's not you, pray for somebody else here, but perhaps this is you. Perhaps you pride yourself on always going the extra mile and you're exhausted because of it. Perhaps you've allowed your kids to commandeer your marriage. You can't remember the last time you paid for a babysitter or went out on a date. Maybe perhaps you have a hard time saying no to anybody. Perhaps your friends have told you that you are a people pleaser. I get it, right? Like somebody may call you that, but when 30 of our friends call us a people pleaser, we might wanna, you know, we might wanna, might wanna listen. Maybe you allow someone to access you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year through your technology, or perhaps you live constantly afraid of hurting someone's feelings or of someone being upset with you. Maybe you resent the messes that others make, always feeling like it's your job to clean up the messes. Maybe you've allowed someone to take from you in a way that they should never taken from you. Maybe you believe that fixing everyone is your responsibility. Maybe you've committed yourself or overcommitted yourself to too many organizations or too many responsibilities. Maybe you've allowed someone to disrespect you and you've not had that hard conversation Maybe you've allowed someone to set the agenda for your life. Maybe you cave to others' threats. We call these passive-aggressive threats. You ever heard someone make a threat like this? If you really loved me, if you really loved me, you would do this for me. Or how could you say no to me after all I've done for you? Or maybe you just simply no longer have time for you. When we got those surveys, and I realized what our church family was going through and the struggles that you were facing, it it caused us to study, it caused me to study, and, and realize this is a serious issue worldwide. Psychologists tell us that a lack of boundaries leads to depression, it can lead to anxiety, eating disorders, 
uh, addictions, impulsivity, chronic guilt and shame, panic disorders, and marital breakdown. Cloud and Townsend write, a life without boundaries is no life at all. And so boundaries create a safe space for a lifetime of loving like Jesus. And many of us, probably most of us, have some boundaries we need to set. How do we do that? Well, there's a number of different ways, but as we close, I'm gonna give you three ways that you can set boundaries, healthy boundaries in your life and still be on mission for Jesus. Here's the first way. Let yourself be loved by God just as you are with no strings attached. Let yourself be loved by God just as you are with no strings attached. The number one objection that I hear when I talk about boundaries in the Christian life is often something like this. Hey, Matt, isn't the Christian faith all about sacrifice? Isn't the Christian faith about sacrifice? And yet you're preaching about boundaries. Where do those two go together? I would say, yes, absolutely. The Christian life is all about sacrifice, just not ours. The Christian life is about his. It's about the sacrifice of Jesus. And we respond to that sacrifice in proportion to the way that he has called us to respond. Some may say, aren't you preaching a gospel of selfishness? Not at all. Appropriate boundaries actually increase our ability to care about others over the long haul. This past week, I was did my devotions in Matthew 25. We talked about it in our discipleship group. Matthew 25, in two or three places, the king is rewarding the servants. This is where this famous phrase comes from, Matthew 25. He said, well done, thou good and blank servant. What's the word that he uses? Faithful. We talked about it in our discipleship group about how that God has invited us to be faithful. Faithfulness has the long haul in view. I really believe that we are just getting started as a church. We're 78 years, 79 years in since the founding of Bible Center Church, and I feel like we're just getting started. I've been here five and a half years, and I believe our staff would say that we are, we are setting up the foundation. The foundation is just about done being poured, and we're ready to move forward. We're just getting started, and I want you as men and women and students to be there with us five years from now, 10 years from now, decades from now, if Jesus tarries but it's not gonna happen. It will not happen if any of us refuse to set boundaries. It's important that we distinguish between selfishness and stewardship. Selfishness has to do with fixation on our own wishes and desires to the exclusion of loving others. Stewardship is passing along what we have received from God to love others at the appropriate time, in the appropriate way, and in the appropriate doses. Let yourself be loved by God just as you are with no strings attached. 1 John 4, 18 and 19 says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Ephesians 3, 19 says, know this, Know this love that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. If you've made a mistake this week, 
you need the truth of Ephesians 3.19. If you've made a mistake this decade or this century, you need the truth of Ephesians 3.19. And actually, it's this truth that is the first step to setting boundaries in your life. It's not that you've got to do more to earn the love of God. It's that God loves you just as you are with no strings attached. If you grew up in an environment of hard religion, you need this truth. If you believe that you must always earn your own victory party, you need this truth. Some of you, I love you, but you are so competitive and so driven and so hardworking. Yes, that is a virtue, but I fear that not for everyone, but for some, it's because you have forgotten that God loves you just as you are. And somewhere in the back of your mind, you've got to earn more of his love. God says, no, we love because he first loved us. If you've ever felt rejected, roasted, refused, repulsed, you need this verse. I invite you to say this with me. I'm going to put a quote on the screen. In a minute, we're going to read it together. I invite you to read it with me. Maybe you've seen those churches where the pastor, you know, like every third sentence asks people to repeat, you know, what he's saying. I like watching those churches. I don't know that I could be part of one, but I like watching it. But I'm going to ask you to do that with me this morning. I'm going to ask you to say something aloud with me. If you believe you can biblically say it, we're going to say this together. I'll read it first. In Jesus, I am loved with no strings attached. Would you mind reading that, even if it's quietly, just so you can hear it? Let's read it together. In Jesus, I am loved with no strings attached. In Jesus, let's say it again. In Jesus, I am loved with no strings attached. Let's say it one last time. In Jesus, I am loved with no strings attached. I want to invite you to let yourself be loved by God just as you are with no strings attached. Number two, see yourself as God's property being responsible only for him, only to him for how you take care of you. See yourself as God's property. That's a strong word. We don't use that a whole lot. But in the physical world, boundaries and property lines are easy to see. We have fences and walls and moats with alligators. Or if you don't have any of those at your house, maybe you have some hedges that define where your property ends and your neighbor's begins. Now, I like the way it's often translated in the New Testament as prized possession. I love that. Very poetic. But at the end of the day, the word itself just means property. We believe we belong to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Matthew twenty two thirty nine. 39. This really stuck out to me this week. Jesus said, love your neighbor, notice the last two words, as yourself. He didn't say somehow you're supposed to completely like blow yourself up, but love your neighbor as yourself. Philippians 2, 4, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Perhaps you need to underline the word to in your Bible. 
realizing that self-care and that soul care are okay. It's not selfish for you to take care of you. Do you see the difference this makes? You see, if you believe that you belong to everybody else in the world, or even if you belong to everybody else in your family, if you believe that they own you, that you are their property, then you will go crazy trying to do everything in your power to make them happy. But if you believe you have one owner and his name is Jesus, then yes, you will strive to do everything in your power to serve, but the only person you're responsible ultimately to is Jesus Christ. You can say yes to what Jesus says yes to and no to what Jesus says no to. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, Matt, if I take your advice, all right, so I see it in the scriptures, I realize this is, this is important, this is an aspect that's, that Satan's using to erode our families. Okay, I'll give you that. But Matt, if I do this, then somebody's not gonna like me, right? Maybe you're thinking that already in yourself. Now, I'm not talking about going out of here today and like throwing grenades, right? Don't, don't get in a fight in the parking lot, right? Don't grab somebody by the shirt collar and say, you haven't been setting boundaries with me, let me tell you, buddy. Don't, please don't be like the version of the Good Samaritan I read, right? That's not in the Bible. Disclaimer, not in the Bible. But as you set kind yet firm boundaries, you say, well, Matt, somebody's not gonna like me anymore. I'm not gonna be as popular as I used to. Well, here's a question. If somebody doesn't like you because you set a healthy boundary in your relationship, what does that say about your relationship to begin with? If someone doesn't like you because you set a healthy boundary in your friendship, what does that say about your friendship? And so I invite you to see yourself as God's property, being responsible only to him for how you take care of you. In closing, number three, try your best with the resources you have to meet the needs God puts in front of you, trusting God to meet the needs beyond your capacity. Think about how this ties in with the Christian faith. Right? Isn't this really the essence of the Christian faith, trusting God with what is beyond our capacity? Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You see, the, the whole crux of the Christian faith is that we cannot save ourselves, we cannot transform ourselves, we cannot restore ourselves because we have sinned, we have fallen, we have broken. Yes, God created us, but sin has broken us. And so we must reach out, we must depend, we must receive, we must believe on the God who offers to save us. I was talking a few weeks ago with one of our elders. We went up to a WVU game a few weeks ago, and, and as we were talking, I had really never heard his full salvation testimony. And so in the car, he was telling me about how he came to faith in Jesus, and this is years ago. He said he was telling his wife and her best friend about how that he was a self-made man and about how he got the job he got because he'd worked hard for it. He got the education he got because he had worked hard for it. He had the status in life because he had worked hard for it. And he knew he was going to heaven because he was working hard for it. And his wife, who was a believer at the time, her best friend, they just laughed at him. Just laughed at him. 
like you have no clue, right? By the way, his wife lived with him, and so she knew who he really was, and there ain't no way he's getting into heaven on his own. And so he said that just kind of ticked him off, right? Like, how dare they tell me that I'm not good enough to get to heaven? You see, that's what the good news does. The good news will set you free, but it ticks you off first. And Jesus said, he said, I have come that you might have life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You can't save yourself. But today, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I invite you right there where you sit, right there where you sit. Even now or later when we take communion, in your own words, call on the name of the Lord, asking him to save you asking him to be your savior and Lord. That is the Christian faith. But believers, the same way we're saved by faith is the same way we're transformed by faith. Notice Psalm 16, five and six. Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. All of our boundary lines look different, right? They all look different but we all have them. Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do it. This is going to look differently again for all of us. But in the last couple decades, here are some ways that I've seen it look for some people in our churches. And maybe this is how it will look for you. It might look like saying a prayer today in communion. Lord, I've been trying to be like Jesus. I've been trying to be Jesus. <laughs> and today I admit I'm not Jesus. I can't fix the world. Help me to do what you've given me to do. It, it might be an honest conversation that you need to have with someone who's been encroaching on those boundaries. You say, well, I'm not gonna have an honest conversation. As long as you delay the honest conversation, the grudge is only going to build in your heart. It really is. Or, or, or maybe it's cutting back on your commitments. Or, or maybe it's going to bed earlier if you can. Or maybe it's letting your kids cry with the babysitter when you go on the date. I'm not an expert on kids, right? We've been married. Sarah and I have been married 21 years. She's an expert on kids. I'm not an expert on kids. We have three children. But I can say this. I don't have a Bible verse for it, but I can declare it. Your kids are going to be okay even if they cry. Your kids are going to be okay, even if they cry. It's okay. Or, or, or it might look to you like not letting your children disturb your marital intimacy every single night. You say, well, they don't disturb it every single night. Ask your spouse. It might look like resting in the fact that not everyone will like you. Some of us who are plagued with people pleasing, we want everybody to like us, Right? Even preaching this sermon, I'm thinking like, all right, who's not going to like me because I preached this sermon? Why, why do I say? Because it's, it's, it's epidemic. But you know, and not everybody liked Jesus, and that's okay. Maybe it's letting someone fail at work because you can't do your job and theirs. And you trying to do their job is affecting the way you do your job. Maybe it's saying no to someone who might be taking advantage of you in a way that the Lord would not be pleased. Sarah and I have a relative that, and this is, I think this hit home in many of, many of you and many of your surveys. Sarah and I have a relative who, because of this culture, has allowed himself to do whatever is necessary to find money for pills. And so there have been times in our house, I, I hesitated in sharing, but we felt like us sharing our story actually can help you 
And there've been times this person's come to our house and stolen money or actually stolen all of our kids' piggy banks, stolen money out of their piggy banks. We didn't know it. We thought they were going down the hall to the bathroom, but they were stealing money. Or no, you have like all your prescriptions in the medicine cabinet you forget about. And then like when that person leaves, we would go into our, our and realize like they took all of our medication. I don't, like, I don't know what they're gonna do with my back pill, but okay, you're gonna, you're gonna do something about it. And so we had to set up some boundaries. And even to this day, like every few months, we talk about it. Are, are our boundaries too hard? We'll buy this person a meal. We'll meet with them anywhere, any, just about any time out in public, but we just can't let them take money from our kids. We can't let them rob us blind. If they do come to our house, there's only one bathroom they're allowed to use. and We don't let them go upstairs. And we struggle with that at times. Like, man, are we loving like Jesus? Yes, yes, that's hard. It's hard, but I want to encourage you, let yourself be loved by God just as you are with no strings attached. See yourself as God's property, responsible only to him for how you take care of you. Try your best with the resources you have to meet the needs God puts in front of you, trusting God to meet the needs beyond your capacity. Matt, why should we do these three things? Because boundaries create a safe space for a lifetime of loving like Jesus. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media.